0: Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul pabadi Hello everybody, this is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and 20 minutes and we expect an entire arrival. Coming up on this flight, a proposed worldwide unique size carry-on doesn't seem to fit, but a smart luggage with 4G Wi-Fi just might. Emirates goes to Washington whilst US airlines are under investigation for price-fixing. London Heathrow might get its third runway, but Terminal 1 is no more. Jet 2 proposes unruly passengers banned for life, though showing gum might be banned first. Iron Man is in the safety video, we have to switch his Monarch ARP Apple Watch app. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast and seamroll sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise cancelling headphones. Flight 18 to Athens. Hi, Alex.
1: Hi, Athens. Yeah, well, Timely obviously.
0: First of all, I had to. You know, it's one of my passports, and the origin of my dad. And obviously, with all the news, everybody asks me what's going on in Greece. I'm not going to address that at all, because I'm refraining myself for having any opinion online about it. No politics, I may say, but I, I gather, why not? You know, Athens. Yeah,
1: Yeah. timely, very appropriate.
0: Exactly, very timely. We'll get to there. A few. There will be a few news about Greece uh, throughout the show uh, as well. But we have a lot of sagas to talk about uh, this week. Uh, first one, our continuing saga that appears in every single episode, which is the third Four big American airlines versus the three uh, Middle Eastern airlines. Ha ha. Have, the- <laughs> have you seen what happened? What happened is that Sir Tim Clark, the CEO and Chairman of Emirates, went to DC, Washington, DC, and had uh, a meeting with uh, officials there and also did a press uh, event, uh, which was on YouTube. It's pretty well done, actually. I'll yeah, put the, the links on. Have you watched an hour and a half or not?
1: I have not watched an hour and a half but there's been a lot of good analysis and picked up some of the more pithy comments that he made. It was it was solid. It was like a deposition almost. I mean, of their own creation.
0: By their own creation. Yeah, they went they actually went all in. So uh that you know, we had of course we mentioned that that debate over and over and over again and we don't want to bore our audience with pointing the obvious again and again, but uh for the first time actually Emirates now has a dedicated page on its website mm. when it has all the different links to the reports, including the new one, which is a 130-pages report or something that they just put out. You have everything there, but if you even if you don't want to read through all this, you have smaller bits uh, on that webpage. You have everything you want to know about Emirates' position in that debate. It's really well done, but more m- more importantly, it shows that Emirates is really getting all in.
1: Yeah, they're really putting a lot of energy and time and resource. I mean, I think a couple of episodes, three or four episodes ago, you mentioned that they had an in-flight uh, audio channel correct? almost dedicated to this very issue. So they are not pulling any punches. And I think that they're going to try and outspend the American Airlines, <laughs> by... <laughs> <laughs> <I> was... <laughs> which is their MO anyway.
0: Yeah, well, to sort of exa- – I mean – Again, I want to make something clear because I had a reaction from a friend of mine on uh, Facebook like a week or two ago, which was about the fact that uh, he's called Eric, uh, which was about are we not too much in favor of Emirates here uh, in this show? And I want to make clear, I mean, you may maybe potentially have had to listen to us throughout the whole season, which you can do. That will augment the number of, of views we're having on this show, but... We we just want a fair debate. And what I really don't like is sometimes it looks like a debate is, oh, on one side you have the rich oil airline and versus yeah. the poor US ones, or you have the free market versus subsidies. And it's much more muddled than that. Uh, in that report and also what he said on the video on that press event, Uh, He shows that, Sir Tim Clark shows that uh, the U.S. airlines have also had like a lot of subsidies, a lot of state aid, a lot of uh, distortion to the market. This is exactly what we're trying to say here. There's not, we're not vouching, obviously have a small, uh, more appreciation for what Emirates does currently, but we just want to have a fair debate.
1: Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that. And I also think there's an element of we want what's best for the passenger base in general. And I think if you compare, as we always do, the product offerings from the two parties, then I am going to skew towards the one that provides the best product. And that's, that's the Middle Eastern Airlines at the moment. I, I won't even get into how they got there, where their money came from to create that product. That's kind of the core of this argument. But I think there's still more to come out. The US has pushed back any conversation, official conversation on this for at least another couple of months, so you're yeah. going to be hearing about it for another couple of months.
0: Yeah, actually, uh, there's one quote out of all the quotes that have been appeared, and we won't get through all of them, but that I liked about uh, Sir Tim Clark. He said, uh, if you start on this path of interdicting open skies, it will never end. Once it starts with us, what are you going to do with the Chinese carrier? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's who are a put... legion. Yeah, exa- exactly. This is where it's going, and we'll come to that a little bit later. Uh, a few new news about Emirates as well. Uh, they've introduced an A380 now to uh, Düsseldorf. So they're going into more into Lufthansa territory. And it's also mm-hmm. had a one-shot A380 to Prague. Uh, because I'd sent you uh, offline a message about, oh, they're introducing the A380 to Prague. Actually, it was just a one-off to celebrate the fifth anniversary of their route there. so But they are adding capacity, even at Düsseldorf, which is pretty Düsseldorf.
1: All of a sudden, it's become very fashionable for airlines to start service. Yeah. Cathay, Cathay just started it. Is there something special about Düsseldorf that I'm missing? No, I don't know. I've
0: never been there yet. Neither I was, have I. But what, if you remember, when we, we talked about Lufthansa, we said that the new Lufthansa strategy is to concentrate uh, the premium product in uh, Frankfurt and uh, Munich. So maybe... That leaves the door open to Dusseldorf that won't have as many uh, premium product of as Lufthansa, Lufthansa. So it opens the competitions up, maybe.
1: Uh, po- quite possibly. Is this interesting that all of a sudden there's this flock of new airlines that are uh, initiating service out of Dusseldorf?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, you had someone sending you in that debate yet. You had someone sending you a picture of the Delta in-flight magazine, right?
1: Yes. Thank you to Greg Annandale, a, a friend and, and longtime listener and supporter of the show, for sending me a, a uh, image of the Delta in-flight magazine that was an open letter from Richard Anderson, the CEO, about this whole debate. And I replied to him saying he's delusional. Not Greg. Greg's not delusional. <laughs> At least I don't think so anyway. Um, but Richard Anderson, because... It's it's full of these dangerously inaccurate and inflammatory statements, like, and I quote: uh, Essihad Emirates and Qatar Airways are three airlines created, supported, and owned by their countries, and their main goal is to develop their national economies." That that's quite a inflammatory comment to make, and they're and as a result, these airlines are running their businesses not according to the fiduciary responsibilities that come with being governed by the laws of supply and demand. What nonsense. But with a budget that has been propped up by more than forty two billion, blah, blah, blah. Same old argument. And it's it's a staggering piece of PR. A really, really interesting and aggressive stance.
0: Yeah, I I, I get the the battle is eating up to a certain extent. I mean it's not eating up maybe for people like you and me, because you've been following this, but I guess now it's kinda of overflowing to the general public, which who might have been unaware of this big debate up to the last maybe Five six weeks, and now it's you know you get into a flight and you hear about this. You get into Emirates and you hear about the the comments on the on the in-flight channel, and you read the open the Delta in-flight magazine and you get this. So, it's getting you know more and more press. I guess the more general public is becoming aware of this debate.
1: Yeah, and I think I, I'd like to see it resolved. It's getting a little bit tiresome now. The the, the the debates are getting petty. I I I want someone to step in and 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 do something. Even if it is the U.S. government saying there's an issue here that we need to to resolve, or there's no issue, shut up.
0: Actually, on June 30th, the the Twitter channel of Emirates at Emirates, uh, for the first time, kind of broke uh, character and started live tweeting what some Tim Clark was doing during the press event. But notably, they've also retweeted some other tweets, including from the U.S. Travel Association, and you can read another executive summary. I'll put the uh, put the link as well in the show notes. So to show once more. That the size is not the U.S. versus the Middle East, but you have airports uh, in the in the uh, in the U.S. I think Las Vegas Airport, Orlando, Dallas. Of course, you have companies like um, um, FedEx, JetBlue as well are siding for Open Skies. Are siding against the major carriers in the U.S. Also, IAG, uh, ironically enough, because they are very much a competitor of uh, IAG is a parent company of BA. So uh, I mean, again, but. The, the biggest irony in all this in that we've seen that <laughs> apparently the department of the Department of Justice is opening an investigation for collusion amongst the carriers in the us so yeah the four biggest us airlines that that's that's not
1: good that's not good and I, I I've read a few so it's the it's the four plus Southwest Airlines mm-hmm. and they they've been accused of uh, colluding on on prices and let's be clear up front this is not a new thing this no, not is at all. not yeah. the first time this has ever happened uh find me at a big airline and and i will f- also find you an airline that has been slapped on the wrist for price fixing it's happened to almost every major Correct. airline but this is interesting timing <laughs> yes that absolutely the de- <laughs> that the department of this has like a house of cards plot line written all over it <laughs> <laughs> but, but, so I I don't know what's going to come of it. Um, I've read some really interesting analysis saying that while it may seem obvious on the face of it, it's going to be quite difficult for them to prove anything. And it's going to be a a lengthy process. But it might just be another distraction for the U.S. majors at a pretty critical time of the year operationally because it's summer and also because of this ongoing and resource-consuming
0: debate. But we've we've seen that uh, there's been consolidation, obviously, in the U.S. market, and now uh, so American, Delta, Southwest, United—if you add them, the, the four of them have more than eighty uh, percent of the seats in the U.S. So that's a lot. This is why I think it's kind of the beast is waking up again and says, "Okay, oh, hold on here—you you could be actually doing uh, flight uh, price gouging." I mean, we'll see where it goes, but it's potentially true. It's kind of
1: interesting to me, this whole thing, and I've wondered about this for years and years. The US airlines were deregulated in the 70s to stop this type of thing, and mm-hmm. yet we've had such a massive amount of consolidation in the three decades following that we're getting back to the point now where so uh, such a large percentage of available seats is owned by such a small group of airlines that there might have to be some kind of re-regulation to yeah. figure out. And prevent stuff like this. So I don't think we've heard the end of this. No, not at all. Exactly. Even though, like I say, it's it's actually alarmingly common. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so move, moving on, because we'll, we'll follow that piece of news, like these two pieces of news, actually, uh, for a long time uh, more. Another saga, a saga that uh, drives us back here uh, in the UK, where we're both uh, located, Alex and I. It's uh, the airport commission has finally made a choice for a new uh, runway in London.
1: Amazing that well they not amazing that they chose Heathrow. That was pretty predictable, um, but they have finally said that a new runway at Heathrow is the most sensible option, and have uh, said it will generate 147 billion pounds in economic growth and create 70,000 jobs by by 2050. But there are so many buts and ifs and Correct. maybes and howabouts and blah blah <laughs> blahs that it's this is going to go on and on and on and on. Uh, and we, forever. We, we can't we can't even build a high speed rail link between the UK's two biggest cities. <laughs> 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 building building something of this of magnitude is gonna be there's gonna be appeals, there's gonna be all kinds of bureaucracy that gets in the way of, of – of anything like this, yeah. So, so,
0: so to make just for those who don't know, so the airport commission was set up a few years ago. There's been an ongoing debate about there's not enough capacity in the in uh, in London. Uh, cities like Paris, or Charles de Gaulle, and Amsterdam, with Schiphol, are actually getting uh, uh, ahead in terms of the number of flights, the number of cities they can link to. So the choice was uh, either they built a second runway at Gatwick, which is more in the south or that they make a longer runway at uh, Heathrow, which would allow at the same time takeoffs and landings on a single hel- a runway that was called the uh, Heathrow hub, or a third runway would be north of the, of the two existing runways, which is the, the position they took. Again, this airport commission doesn't have you know, any power. It just gives no, the their recommendation. Their recommendation. Yeah. Now it has to go through Parliament. We already know that the mayor of London, Boris Johnson, is completely opposed To any new runway, so he already like plays it in all the media here in the UK.
1: (laughs) He was a big proponent of a brand new airport in the Thames Estuary, which is would be cool, but is totally unfeasible. I mean, like like
0: you just said, I mean, we don't even have a, 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 a rail link to Manchester. We don't even have. I mean, there's. There's no way there's going to be enough money or enough political will to build a new airport. So we have to do what we have, which is sad when you think of it. But you look at the new airport at Istanbul, which basically they decided like, what, two, three years ago. And by 2018, so in like three years, they'll have an airport for 150 million passengers. You look at Mexico City, which is building its new uh, Norman Foster Airport. Massive airports. So, and here we're talking, and I took these two examples on purpose. We're not talking about Dubai or Abu Dhabi, or we're talking about more regular countries. We just decided, let's go all in and let's yeah. do a proper uh, entry point for the country. And the UK was just not able to do it because, like, the most optimistic estimates are if there's no hurdles. We should get the third runway runway by twenty twenty six. We're talking like eleven years to have a third runway ready. It's
1: it's totally incredible, and I think now would be the time. I thought that a government would be able to act with uh, just kind of decisiveness because they have just been elected in a pretty um, resounding manner to a to a right. second term at least for Cameron. So this felt like the point where they could say, "Yeah, we're going to do it," but. They're being extremely cautious because they they don't want to get themselves into any kind of legally binding yeah, um, right. statement at this phase, so they've they've said that they're going to study it at length and that nothing will happen even in terms of an announcement on yes, we are going to do this until december
0: yeah absolutely uh just one thing uh, for those because the most of, uh, a lot of the debate comes of the noise that it generates over London. Uh, the uh, pollution that it generates as well mm. and some of those the, are
1: not not small, not issues small exactly
0: and in the proposal it's not only they say not only let's do a third runway they say that all scheduled night flights should be banned between 11:30 p.m. to 6 a.m. that there should be a promise that the government will never ever ever uh, build a fourth runway uh, that there will be a noise envelope, so there will be a noise controls. Well, there already are noise controls in place, but something even more stringent, that there will be a, a aviation levy, so basically that airlines will have to participate in the price, basically, of that new runway, yeah. which, by the way, BA already said, IAG said, there's no way we're going to ever pay for this. Uh, so, But are... all
1: the money is coming from private finance. That's really important to point out. They're, this this new runway would not be financed by the taxpayer. The money is going to come from, from industry.
0: Correct. But apparently, some airlines already, I mean, IAG said they won't They won't pay a penny. Uh, I don't think they're actually against uh, the third runway. I think they're just afraid that uh, there would be a massive levy because Ether uh, uh, is not a cheap airport in terms of landing taxes. No, I no, they, it's
1: one of the most expensive in the world.
0: Yeah, so that, I think they're just afraid that it goes even higher up because BA is the major, of course, user of that airport. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Very quickly, it was interesting to see there was an, an article that I read that, uh, that, like you said, you can only from the only train link from Heathrow is to London. It doesn't, this airport doesn't need you anywhere else. And then you can only fly to seven other cities in the UK from Heathrow. Uh, and then if you look at Amsterdam, you can fly to 24 cities from Amsterdam, 24 cities in the UK, and that you can actually have a train that goes. So it, it shows that we're so. Beyond, behind that, uh, even Amsterdam is a better hub for the UK than Heathrow. This is insane when you
1: think Yeah, about it. it was a really interesting analysis. I mean, it was a bit tongue-in-cheek. Obviously. But they have a really good point because you used to be able to fly from most of the U- London airports to Manchester and the other big anchor cities in the UK. But now, as I discovered to my peril, you can only fly on one airline from one airport to Manchester from Heathrow. And the argument was, oh, it's because you can." there's a the new improved train link between central London and and Manchester, Birmingham, Liverpool, Edinburgh, places like that. But that assumes that you're in central London. Right. Getting from Heathrow to central London is a pain in the butt.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so it's, it's not solved the problem. It's made it worse. And I think that, that that's what that – Really well wit- written and charming analysis comparing uh, Schiphol and uh, and Heathrow was pointing out.
0: Yeah, and I think that there's no way, even if like even if we only get the uh, the third runway by 2026, that's 11 years. and there's no way out. There'll be there'll have to be improvements at Luton at Stansted. There'll have to be improvements at London City Airport. There's no way. There's no capacity. No. Uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, staying at Heathrow. Because we forgot to say that last week, uh, T1 is finally shut down.
1: This is sad. I don't know why it's sad, but it made me sad. I, when I uh, flew out to Miami last month, we taxied past it, and there was, I think, maybe three or four gates still open, and the rest had already been kind of barricaded off, and the diggers were already there. Yeah, you can there. see that, yeah. Um yeah. You know, it's sad because it opened in 1968. It's kind of a... a you know, it's part of Heathrow that's been there the longest, and those those historical elements are slowly, slowly disappearing as Heathrow gets um, slowly modernized. But the cool thing about T1, even though it was kind of a crappy terminal, let's be honest, it was showing <laughs> its age, but it had these walkways to the gates that were like s- space-age steel tubes. Yes. That if you ima- if you pictured what. They thought a space station might look like in the 1960s, and there'd be like two orbiting balls and then a, a walkway between the two. It looked like that. And, and it's just like, you know, the round porthole windows. It was really kind of cute in a way. So it's it's sad to see yeah. it to see it close. But the master plan for Heathrow is impressive and grand. Terminal two is great. Terminal five is great. So you know, you you take the good with the bad, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I flew there maybe for the last time four weeks ago. It was uh, from BA. There's only a few flights from BA. Seventeen, 17 destinations were flying. No, seventeen flights. Sorry, were flying from T1 until its closure on June 29th. Uh, it was that's the number I didn't know. There was only a thousand seven hundred passengers a day, which is why it felt so as nothing. It was amazing because you could go there and you would pass through. Security and everything and to get in under three minutes because it was absolutely no one. So it was a wonderful. It used to be my my hub because I fly a lot of Star Alliance, which is now Terminal Two. And like you said, it's supposed to be Terminal One will be uh, destroyed. Terminal t- Terminal Two will eventually, because we don't know any timeline, uh, built uh, expanded up, uh, above what is now Terminal One. So you'll have a larger Terminal Two, and sh- this should go on. At some point, They will destroy Terminal Three, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, this will happen by twenty. Uh, i don't know 95 or something because we- <laughs>
1: <There's> no- <laughs> it's it's amazing to me though that they have the sheer gate capacity to shut down an entire terminal for this period i know i know they added a lot with t5 and i know they added a lot with with t2 but it seems – I mean, obviously, they've done their planning. This is what they do for their, for, for a living. But it, it's, it was surprising to me.
0: Yeah, it was. It, it, it still is. Uh, but there's still gate cap- uh, capacity issues sometimes. I still land sometimes at Heathrow, and they, we have to wait for because there's uh, no gate available. So it still happens, right? Uh, the same problem we are discussing before. The same thing happens with the runway. The same thing happens with the gate. It's a very, uh, very massive airport. It is capacity. Uh, Transatlantic flights, very quickly, uh, Ryanair has acquired a single Boeing 737-700 and uh, speculation is rife that uh, not only they acquired it, but apparently Boeing helped pay for it. Uh, Of course, Boeing might be interesting for uh, Ryanair to acquire more, but the the big uh, question mark is, are they doing that on purpose because they are looking at how they will eventually do transatlantic flights? They
1: they claim it was for training, didn't they? Yes,
0: that's what they claim, yeah.
1: But it's a different model from what they usually operate. They usually operate the 800, which is higher capacity, longer, that type of thing. But But the 700... Shorter range. But shorter range, yeah, that's a very important um, point. The 700 is a longer range. It is capable of transatlantic flight from Ireland. So I can understand where that speculation came from. I am skeptical. (laughs) (laughs)
0: But honestly, I think if they were to do it, they would wait maybe for the 737 MAX, uh, the new ones. But I mean, it's it's a possibility because usually for those who don't know, Ryanair buys a single type of aircraft. Uh, So for maintenance costs, it's the same for training. They have a single airline, uh, a single aircraft, sorry. And that is why, obviously, when suddenly they change tune, people are like, oh, maybe they are have a new plan and we don't know about
1: it. So, yeah, know. it is very – it is an unusual move. and It will be interesting to, to keep an eye on that. They're quite a strange and secretive airline. But they did say at a recent conference, their chief commercial officer came out to support another airline, which is even more bizarre for, for Ryanair. They said that – Norwegian who have been trying to initiate transatlantic service to the U S to specific cities for years and keep running into DOT issues. Their chief Ryanair's chief commercial officer said that he thinks Norwegian is being unfairly frozen out despite playing Mm -hmm. by the rules. So they, and and he, he goes on to clarify that saying Norwegian are no friend of ours, but they are obeying the rules and they are still getting screwed over. Um, that's it. And then he says, Norwegian are playing by the rules. It's just in this case, the rules don't suit the big guys. Yeah. That sounds like someone who has explored this market before. Yeah, exactly. And is reacting to a similar frustration.
0: Yeah. I mean, and we can't wait, either, both you and me, that for some day – a true low cost appears over the skies over the Atlantic, but uh, it would be great.
1: I think it would do a lot for competition, for competition and for price. I mean, I don't know if I would want to fly Ryanair across the Atlantic, but that doesn't matter because it will put a lot of pressure on the others, on yeah.
0: the others to lower costs, absolutely, or or improve service, or improve service, absolutely. You're absolutely right. Uh, quickly, I've seen uh, and I've sent it to you the other day because it was a uh, so Swiss releases a few videos, really pretty cool, well done on their YouTube channel. The last one was about welcoming the CS uh, 100, which is a new bombardier uh, aircraft. And of course, as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Wow, yeah, they're finally getting it." Well, no, they're not. I mean, I'll put the link of the video so you can see it. But what I've learned since then is that so they're buying, they're, they're buying 30 new bombardiers. Apparently, 20 of the 100 version uh, of. Uh, this variant, and uh, 10 of the 800 variant, which is a slightly bigger one. So they're really betting a lot on uh, on the Bombardier flight. But uh, since there's so much delays, and that's a, the, that explains why, and I don't know if you remember, Alex, I told you maybe, I think it was in the last episode, that I flew a uh, Wetleys and Austrian yes. flight because apparently these Bombardiers were supposed to arrive this year and they were supposed to replace the uh, the Avro uh, aircrafts. Mm. And so now uh, Swiss and other airlines are reporting the same thing. Have uh, an issue because it had planned for these new Bombardier aircraft to arrive. They're not there. So they have to have contingencies in, in meanwhile.
1: Yikes. Yeah, that's not good.
0: Yeah. But I, I mean, th- th- that plane looks good, right?
1: I was just about to say the same thing. I think the one thing we can all agree on is it is a very attractive airplane.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. It's and got
1: that new dreamliner style nose. Exactly. It's the a nose plane. is
0: very good. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to
1: see it in person.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh and there is for those interested in seat mapping, if you look at the video, you can pause at some moment and you'll see what the seat map will be for us in that flight because that So I guess it. the
1: the message here is to jump on a an Avra liner quickly if they're going to get phased out pretty soon. Yep. You know, City CityJet use them a lot from from London city but that's a I love I have a very soft spot for that airplane so yeah, I better go I better do a flight to Geneva or something pretty quick exactly <laughs>
0: uh so Greece uh the Grexit, as we as we say uh, I mean of course Greece is still negotiating we don't know if they're going to be out or in uh, the euro or the EU that's a big debate we won't have here the one thing that is happening since the referendum and just before is that there are capital controls now in greece so there are basically the banks are there's no almost no cash anymore uh which creates a lot an immense amount of of issues a few of which one is there's there seems to be catering issues at airports uh, in athens because they don't have enough stock to actually. Oh, build. I hadn't heard that uh, stuff like that, right? It's starting to happen because they cannot buy, they cannot import any more part of the uh, the things they they need. And another one is uh, apparently so uh, the there's 32 airlines that have stopped ticketing from uh, Greece. 32, that's a lot. Wow, we're talking about including Emirates, including the big ones, right? Because simply they just cannot ensure that they can actually make it work because of the all the controls that have been put in place. And a nice gesture Aegean, Aegean is the, the major airline in, in now in Greece. Yeah they bought Olympic a few years ago, uh even if the brand Olympic stays. So they've actually started to uh, uh, refund uh no matter if you had or not you know all the fair rules that new usually sometimes do not allow for a refund. They started refunding a full price to flights because they know that people don't have any cash. So they will actually refund you in cash if you live in Greece. It's a pretty uh, nice uh, gesture. I mean, it's not a pretty sight. Well, uh, I hope I I might be going to Greece in a couple of weeks. I'll let you know Uh, what I see there.
1: I I would be interested to know what happened or what is happening to that startup airline that we've covered in the past that was going to uh, fill in the void. Um, in Cyprus, whether or not they're feeling any kind of fallout because they were saying that a Greek link yep. up was going to be really, really important to them so
0: yep. absolutely um, i don 't know I mean I've heard all the stuff like the of course tourism is hit uh last minute tourism in Greece accounts uh, for like twenty percent of the numbers in the summer, so apparently there 's a lot of people of course now saying that, well, i will they will not come to Greece because they're you know they're afraid of their certainty. Uh, so and we've heard that also airline, uh, airline reservation, airline bookings are down more than forty percent. Uh, so it's a pretty bad, dire sign because of course the tourism is very important to Greece. So I hope hugely important. I hope it gets resolved. We'll see. Uh, maybe uh, so. We don't. We want to have a show next week because you'll be away in holidays. So maybe in two weeks when we'll have our next show, we'll learn something. We'll see. Uh, another bad news. Uh, Virgin not. America, but Atlantic, apparently.
1: Virgin Atlantic. I don't necessarily see this as bad news, but they're cutting 500 jobs. I mean, it's bad news for those people, and you never want to hear people losing their jobs. But they are—they just announced profit last year for the first time in in mm-hmm. three years, and now they're kind of—they're cutting a layer of management. Act. So this is not frontline staff. This is management in their in their headquarters and also in some outports. 500 people so they're trying to make the entire operation more efficient and i think this is all part of craig krieger who's a ceo really reasonably new ceo and possibly delta's influence into trying to just make the whole thing run a little bit more efficiently they've already committed to investing 300 million pounds into the airline to um to kind of Enhance the product because, to be honest with you and Frank, it was getting a little bit tired. So by the end of 2016, every single plane in their fleet will have Wi-Fi. um, And they are kind of really putting the axe down on some of these routes that just don't make any sense for okay, them. I didn't know um, that.
0: And also they have the very famous uh, plane, the 747 Dreamliner, right? Yeah, the <laughs> wonderful
1: stuff. 747 Dreamliner, which <laughs> I had great. a chance to fly on, which actually turned out to be 14 years old. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're the only airline in the world that's got one of those.
0: <laughs> actually, there was <laughs> last night on ITV, there was this new show called uh, Virgin Atlantic Up in the Air. So it's a three episodes uh, around virgin atlantic obviously so they've shown i've seen it last night uh, have, you, have you watched it or not
1: no i haven't it's, i didn't even know about it until i saw it in your show notes today
0: it's it, it was pretty fun I, I stumbled upon it by accident but it's 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 nice i mean it's they show how they train the crew they welcome this, this the the the, 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 the air, uh, airline cra- uh, crew it's uh, the, but the for me the most interesting part where they, they showed some uh, crash tests on the seats so you know how they choose the seats that should like sustain a lot, you know, crashes. Oh and my like, god! Uh, yeah, and then, yeah, it's pretty actually. You should look at it because it, wow, it's pretty impressive. And it showed also some uh, how they make the process of choosing the product. So like uh, when they chose the new seats for the Dreamliner because they actually have the real Dreamliner of the seven four seven Dreamliner. Yeah. Uh, the old process and the whole all the details they have to go into. So it was just a first episode. It will be three episodes. Uh, I know that a lot of you listeners are not living in the UK, though, hint, hint, ITV is free to air, and free to air can be actually uh, seen from everywhere in the world if you're smart enough. So there will be the next episode, the next, uh, we we were Wednesday today, so next Tuesday in the the UK, and and the third one after that. I'm pretty sure that it will be available somewhere because all these uh, usually airport shows that you then end up somewhere online. But it's pretty cool if you like.
1: I wonder book. I wonder if this was in uh, – not retaliation is probably not the right word. But uh, last end of last year, I think, BA had a very similar program yes, on right. on the BBC. So the BBC, I wonder if yeah. this was uh, a balance to that. I've never been a huge fan of shows like that to be no, honest with you. I, the BBC 18 months ago did a wonderful thing called Heathrow Alive. Yes. Where they, yes. I spent like three days there, yes. live broadcasting from Heathrow, that looking cool. at all the operational. Yeah, it was brilliantly done. Yeah, that was great. But these are all a little bit too soap opera yeah. reality. Even TV even for that me. one,
0: honestly. It was, it was. I think I watched on the delay channels. It was 10 p.m., so it was okay. I wouldn't have watched it in the middle of the day. But it's still fun. Uh, honestly, I, I, I encourage you to watch it. I'll put the show notes where it's on if people want to see it. And then to the other version, your version, Virgin America. Bravo, bravo! Because yet another award for you guys. Uh, you, ju- I mean, you—you're not part of the airline anymore, sorry, Alex. But I still consider you. <laughs> My heart is. Yes. <laughs> so, Travel Laser Magazine has given it the top airline in the US uh, for 2015. Like what? In the eighth time in a row, or something?
1: Something, yeah, eighth consecutive year. Wow. best, uh, best uh, airline in the US. In the US, which is great. It's you know, and they're now they got 53 airplanes now with another uh a good batch of them on the way as well. So they are becoming a very big airline. Yeah, they which are which is which is yeah. great. So that they've that they've been able to scale that quality is yeah, it's very pretty cool. En- encouraging. So best yeah. of luck to them. Their stock is getting spanked at the moment, just like everybody else's,
0: but <laughs> <Yeah>. uh <laughs> well that usually doesn't luck. really correlate always, right? Um uh, internationally the number one is Singapore, number two Emirates. They always fight for the first two places. Uh, as for the airport, uh, Portland, which we haven't covered yet, is uh, was named the best airport in the U.S. Uh, we should cover it one day. I've never been there.
1: No, neither have I.
0: And for international, first, Singapore, second, Hong Kong, third, Amsterdam, fourth, Zurich, and fifth, Munich. So we covered pretty much all of them instead. Uh, just Zurich remains. So yeah, there you go. Ch- I mean,
1: Changi, come on. There's no doubt Yeah, so like and that. by the way,
0: would... uh, for, for those of uh, you guys that know Alex is – doing this uh, travel show, um, (laughs) a video called Attaché, Attaché Travel. And the last episode is about Singapore, which just released on YouTube. You guys can... You should watch it because it's a really cool episode. And some of the stuff we said in episode uh, 008 about Singapore are in there in the beginning. And you say that... uh, like. The way you say how great the Singapore Shanghi is is amazing. It's uh, <laughs> the first three minutes. So, people, you should watch that. It's really cool.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it was a fun episode. And it is a great airport. There's no doubt about it.
0: Absolutely no doubt. Uh, back to a little bit uh, rougher reality. So, that crash had happened a few months ago. Uh, what was the name of the airline again? Uh,
1: Tran- TransAsia so in the, Taipei.
0: So, the report is out.
1: The report came out and sadly, the pilot turned off the wrong engine or he 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 throttled back on the wrong engine after the other engine failed and he said they on the cockpit voice recorder you can hear him saying wow pulled back the wrong side throttle and wow at, right out seconds later the, the plane uh cartwheeled across a, a freeway and yep. uh unfortunately some people so people were killed but yeah i mean terrible terrible Um, mix up on the flight deck caused, and then this plane, the ATR 72 can fly and take off on one engine. So if it had, if he'd done the right thing, possibly not, not definitely, we we would never, we'll never know. uh, This whole thing could have been avoided, but a real shame. Um, And there's a, a rather sad footnote that he, in 2013, this pilot had failed a simulator test. Oh wow. um, which is uh, kind of a damning indictment of, of perhaps his, his... I mean, we can't we can't sit here and judge. We don't really yeah, know no, the details. Yeah, we don't really but, know, yeah. but,
0: but that reminds So it's another crash that we haven't covered. It has not been covered because obviously it happened in a lesser-known country. So Air Algerie, so the uh, company from Algeria, got a crash three weeks ago. It was an MD-83, so it's not... Uh, was brand new aircraft, but a uh, similar story actually happened. And I read the other day, the article I read is in French, I will still put it in the show notes. So apparently the pilot, uh, instead of uh, pulled, instead of pushing, accelerating the stall the plane was having. But what appears to be the, res- the result of not only the pilot was actually, the pilots didn't really know the aircraft because they were trained, they were Spanish air- air- air pilots. Uh, that were trained in a flight simulator in Spain with different kind of aircraft. Oh, my God. How is that even a possibility? Possible? Exactly. So that's crazy. You know, th- it was a wrong... This is why I wanted quickly to, to mention it. The wrong flight simulator. So, of course, when there was a, under stress, there might have been a mistake. They pulled instead of pushing. But still, uh, maybe they were not fully aware what was going on. I don't know. I mean, it's just insane. Anyway. Uh, oh, and you live news because you just sent me that uh a tweet that apparently all the united airlines are grounded in the us
1: yes they there was a tweet about an hour ago saying that united airlines flights are grounded nationwide due to an automation issue and they requested a ground stop to the faa and i wow. there were there were usually it, it has since been resolved and now their flights are are airborne but okay. it sounds like it was a a single point of failure in an IT system that, that caused it. And fortunately, United responded with their legendary world-class customer service. Uh, that's a lie. Um, there were <laughs> immediate reports of meltdowns at airports, ca- um, gate crew walking away from podiums so they didn't have to deal with customers. Wow! But um, it doesn't sound like safety was ever compromised at any point. So they're back in the air. Everybody's um, hopefully going to be on time.
0: Talking about safety, uh, you you sent me an article about Jetstar that just got denied its a license to fly. What's up with that?
1: So Jetstar Hong Kong, so it's one of those uh, subsidiary, regional subsidiary, and all of these seem to be so in vogue in Asia at the moment. There's you know Air Asia Japan and Tiger Taiwan, and these they're all sort of setting up regional affiliates of, of airlines and. And Jetstar is a joint venture between Qantas and China Eastern, and they've been trying to get into Hong, to open up a base in Hong Kong for years. And through lobbying, I I think, I presume, by some of the larger, more vested interests in, in Hong Kong, <coughs> cafe, <laughs> they have been denied that license to operate out of Hong Kong, and
0: Is it what you're saying that this was politically motivated?
1: I would... It feels like it. It feels like a little bit of protectionism. And if you read the letter of the law, Hong Kong's basic law says that the government can issue licenses to airlines that are incorporated in the city and use it as their principal place of business. And I I, I gather that the... The, the point of contention was it's a foreign airline. It's just opening up an office here. And I was like, God, that sounds super familiar. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was a little torn about this. But um, so the, Cathay have have won this, this quote unquote moral victory and they've kept out a what could have been a significant competitor. But I think the industry at large is kind of like, come on, guys, what are you doing? That's not cool.
0: Yeah. Um, but
1: for now, it's dead.
0: It's talking about death because you just gave me, <laughs> talking about political motivation and death, actually. <laughs> uh, but it's obviously, we tend to mock uh, sometimes what happens in that country. We're going to talk about North Korea, uh, but it's not that fun because actually, so just tell us the story, Alex.
1: Re- very recently, uh, Pyongyang Airport had a new terminal open and there were pictures all over the news of this. It looks okay. I mean, it looks yeah. like a reasonably modern new terminal. And of course...
0: Yeah, I'll put I'll put links on the show notes you can watch there on Telegraph. But some, it looks okay, honestly. Yeah, it looks fine. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, pictures of, of Kim Jong-un going around on one of his typical photo shoots uh, with his wife looking at the new terminal. Well, it turns out that he'd had the designer of the airport executed months ago for officially for what what was it called a corrupt practices and failure to follow orders but apparently the last time they went around there were a few defects or designs that kim jong un didn't like and so he had the the designer of the airport executed oh my god just extraordinary
0: so do, which do you think he People are gonna believe that he designed the airport. Was that the whole thing? Or he couldn't have it. Like I don't know. It just
1: if it was perfect, he would have. But he said, "Quote: Defects were manifested in the last phase of the construction of the terminal because the designers failed to bear in mind the party's idea of architectural beauty." So basically, the designer failed to read his mind, and it wasn't the same vision that he had. <laughs> and so he was—he uh, was—it was executed. Yeah. <laughs> by well, the
0: army so by the way we're sorry we we're laughing because we know we're talking about somebody being shot but I mean stories like that coming us off, off North Korea is like out of this world. it seems like you're reading a Jim Spawn book or something it's, it's just crazy like, it, just, it just doesn't make any sense talking about those not making any sense uh, we're moving into the innovation passenger experience part of the show and not making any sense are apparently the British Air Miles miles so you remember last week last episode Alex told us about a fantastic experience flying first class on uh, British Airways to the US and then uh, using uh, two other airlines including US Airways to come back so the rest of the legs were on uh, business they call that first in the US whatever but apparently you had a massive issue since then because they won't just believe you had miles I mean tell us the story it doesn't make sense to me
1: no it it's it still doesn't make sense to me i think they got me on a technicality that was not explained at all, let alone clearly explained. Um, I flew a four-leg trip on BA, U.S. Airways, and American Airlines. They're all part of the same alliance, and American and U.S. Airways are pretty much the same airline now. The ticket was on American paper, but two of the flights had BA flight numbers, even though only one of them was operated by BA. So, And I needed two flights. BA flights to bump up to the next tier. So I thought, okay, well, there's two flights with BA flight numbers, I'll be fine. And I confirmed that with BA customer service on on Twitter and then again at the airport that these were, because they had BA flight numbers, they were quote unquote eligible. So I got home after my excellent experience on British Airways that was really, really world-class to find out that all of the tier points that should have been there were there. I had all my tier points, but it said I had only taken one uh, eligible flight. I thought, okay, this happens all the time, so I just give him a ring and I'll sort it out. He said, no, 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 you, you haven't done enough flights. You need to do one more flight. I was like, no, no, I did two. Well, only one of them was on British Airways. I said, no, but one of them, the other one, I know it was operated on US Airways Metal, but it had a BA flight number. And long story short, because even though it had a BA flight number, but because it was on AA paper, that was the kind of the 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 bit that broke the whole process down and there's nowhere anywhere that says that if you if you ask for an ex- official explanation of what an eligible flight is it's one that has a BA flight number and but but wish it did and but because that BA flight number appeared nowhere on my manifest it doesn't technically count
0: honestly i mean i <sighs> Just it shows how complicated and complex these things are. But honestly, when you think about just a customer point of view, this just do make, should make this thing damn simple. This looks like way too complicated. Because it, come it on.
1: was comp, it is complicated. And I thought I was being stupid, but the lady, a very kind lady on the BA customer service line, could sense my frustration and said, "Yeah, I see how you're frustrated, and I see how this would have been confusing. But you know, here's the explanation that I've just gotten from." The Executive Club team and I was like, okay, well, I wish I'd known that because I would have done something slightly different on my routing. But it's not the end of the world. But as you say, that it's it's so complicated, not just with the U.S. Airways American Airlines merger, but with alliance partners and and single lines of um, tier in a one-off program like Executive Club. If it had been a one-world thing, I think I would have, would have already got it. But and you know. It's 2015. We're still figuring out who writes the ticket. Exactly. Even though you, I went on three different airlines. It's it's a strange thing, isn't yeah. it?
0: I mean, I, we understand there's a lot of legacy here in, in here, obviously. But when you fly more more recent airlines, and they make that process also simple, and I mean, I always hear stories like that more. And I'm not bashing here, but on one world, people talk a lot about these stories, and I hear them less in Star Alliance. So I don't know. They should just get their act together a little bit more here, because it's just—I mean—I'd rather them making more difficult to people to get to the next tier, because it has become a game that is way too complex, and people just, like you said, not for you, sadly, but they just play on technicalities. It should be simple. You yeah. fly, you get miles, and you get tiers, and that's it. You know. And yeah. if you, if you, if you, if I understand that, too many people have. Uh, are, are become freaking flyers, well, you just make it harder to, for people to get there, and that 's it you know it shouldn 't be much harder than this right and yeah,
1: which they 've actually done they 've they 've redone uh the program, executive yeah. club quite quite substantially recently to do yeah. exactly that, so I think i just i was one of those those really rare use cases that there isn 't a necessity to to clearly document so you you
0: you 're clearly a rare use case alex I,
1: <laughs> I hear that a lot
0: <laughs> so uh TripAdvisor doesn't allow you to yet uh, rate airlines, but uh, I recently read that TripAdvisor, for those who don't know this, is they have pretty good SEOs. So you're pretty pretty certain they have entered TripAdvisor in the past when you look for a destination for a hotel, because they have all these reviews about hotels. But, it's very interesting, they will start now listing airports as well. So you'll be able, Alex, to basically uh, review an airport. I think it's wonderful
1: yeah it's a really, really good idea. and I think out of this will come a flood of tips and tricks and Correct. little interesting insights into airports that you're not you're not going to find from somebody who's just reviewed a restaurant is now reviewing a hotel. I think you're gonna get a certain type of person i e you and me yes. who will go on there and I don't know makes you, I don't know if I'm inclined to share my secrets, but I think you're gonna get some really, really good content out of this. I'm amazed, it's taken them this long to do that.
0: And they're starting with Shanghi, of course, the easiest yeah, one because
1: ne- exactly it's the easiest one
0: to do. Everybody will say it's amazing. They will go up to two hundred, I think. Uh, and all the forty-five countries that Trip I Advisor, advisor uh, covers will have an airport there. So it's a, it's a nice. Nitty, I like it. Uh, looking for, I will start reviewing airports. on think we are. I, I think I'll do it. Uh, and the, uh, um, you know, the US one will be cubes, bland cubes, as you usually say. <laughs> I nice. can just copy, copy paste my review for all the US airports. No, I'm kidding, guys. <laughs> and you'll see why because we'll come to there in a minute. Uh, but uh, also, and uh, very quickly, I've, I've heard that. TripAdvisor is now available in certain airlines on the IFE, so you are able to actually directly in the IFE to read TripAdvisor. Sally. you cannot review yet, uh, uh, whether it's an airport, and a hotel, or a destination there. But it's it's coming there. I mean, they really have a. I don't know, you know, because they still have a problem because they most of their profits are made outside because you know they cannot they don't own the entire experience when you book something usually. They, the they need you outside of their own website but it's they have a very good grip of the review industry now for the travel i mean everything they really
1: happens. do yeah they own it they absolutely own it and i think as a result it's become very middle of the road you know yeah a bit but the, um yeah. you know it's good it's 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 the, and the, that ife thing is a natural extension for them the, the UI could see a little bit of a refresh honestly agreed yeah. 100% agree. well, yeah
0: and uh so to, to to tell you that i'm not always bashing us airports it trust me i'm not always I have fantastic. JetBlue is opening a new lounge uh, on the top of Terminal 5 at GFK. And they have a rooftop an open outdoor, an open air rooftop that will have seating for 50 people. They will have a 400 square foot children's play area. And you will also be allowed to actually have your dog there. Uh, it's one. I think it's the first one in the world when you can have uh, airside your dog uh, in uh, outdoors. I mean, it's pretty cool. And I've used to pictures. He looks amazing. Yeah,
1: it's a really, really good idea. I mean, I've, I'm always talking about the one in the Virgin Lounge at Heathrow Correct. the yes. clubhouse. It's this beautiful oasis that no one knows about. No one's ever up there. It's only me, which is great. It's not nearly as big or as grand as theirs, but there is something really powerful about having access to open space airside because you kind of feel like you're hermetically sealed in when you've gone through security, like you can't get out, so... Um, It's very cool. They've done a fantastic job. And they're really owning JFK, JetBlue. I think they've done such a good job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is uh, fantastic. Uh, Just before I go on, uh, it's not beautiful, but in Larnaca Airport, uh, the lounge also gives you access to a terrace where you can do some plane spotting. So it's pretty cool. But coming back to JFK, so not only so it will have views on the tarmac, but it also will have views on... That TWA famous terminal of uh, Erosarinen. So you'll have a, a great uh, picture opportunity to take that very fantastic building that's been laying out there. And wonderful. talking about that, you sent me the other day, there is a video, there's like some some pe- people are trying to do a 360 video inside of that uh, building. Yeah, this JK.
1: wonderful video and photo tour of the abandoned um, terminal, t- t- well, abandon is not the right word. It's just been kind of closed. There's nothing in there. And it's in amazing condition. Yeah, it Surprisingly is, Surprisingly good condition. And somebody's somebody joked in the comments that it's in better condition than a lot of the uh, active terminals at JFK, <laughs> which uh, which isn't too far from the truth.
0: <laughs> uh, back to Europe, talking about passenger experience, uh, Jet2, which is a low-cost uh, airline here in the UK. Is asking the British Air Transport Association and the Airports Operator Association, which are basically the two biggest associations when it comes to air travel here in the UK, to have a possibility to ban unruly passengers for life. Good. Oh yeah, well. So basically, we have an issue, especially in the summer, with uh, for charter destinations or for holiday destinations. There's always stories uh, in the UK, but also not only in the UK, but in the UK where specialists in seems of people being completely wasted in a flight and starting to be very unruly and Jet 2 has, has had enough and just say, you know what, I don't know if they go for like a three strikes or whatever, whatever is the exact proposal, but they want to basically say, you know, you're being, being unruly, you're never going to fly again.
1: Yeah, and it's it's dangerous and people underestimate the effects of alcohol at altitude and they, you know, lose a little bit of control of their faculties and then they do something stupid or aggressive or dangerous and yeah, I think I think that they should have that power to ban them for life.
0: Yeah, well, at least at least have a strike system I don't know or maybe like a temporary ban but I mean, I understand that this problem is I've, I've been lucky not to have that in a flight ever around myself, so it's nice. But when I read the stories, that would drive me nuts. Oh, yeah. That would drive me nuts. Talking about the same similar story, but not as, as pervasive, but operating extremely costly, there's a Russian low cost carrier called Podeba, Pobeda, sorry, Pobeda, which is a subsidiary of Aeroflot, which is a national carrier of uh, Russia. And they want to ban chewing gum on board because they say that too many people are actually just sticking their chewing gums on the seats, and it cost them. And uh, cleanup was costing the company up to, and I'm going to, have to say that in dollars, one thousand eight hundred around dollars per piece of gum. What? Yes.
1: Wow, I had no idea it was such an issue.
0: Yeah, and so they want to. Ban- I don't know how they're going to ban them though, because. I don't think there's a special X-ray to ban. Well, right. <laughs> but well, here you go. So they're coming closer to Singapore. Wow. Uh, another little story. Uh, I want to test that out. This one I want to mention that here. Uh, so Stockholm, Arlanda Ar- Airport, which I haven't been in years, has installed. Uh, it's just isn't temporary cubes in one of their terminals. When you can get, there's three doors. You can get in. And you can experience the temperature and humidity of other places in the world live. So what a
1: cool idea!
0: <laughs> so basically, uh, let's say you're you want to go to let's let's put a very potent example. You want to go to Dubai, which currently is 55 degrees Celsius. Theoretically, because it's there's a live uh, data transfer, you get in there, you ask to to, to feel like in Dubai, and you will have 55 degrees Celsius. Alternatively, you could go to I don't know the North Pole and have like minus something.
1: <laughs> so, what a great idea.
0: It's a fun idea, right? What a great idea. I, yeah, I want to check that out. Exactly. That's for me. I just want to, apparently, sadly, it's only there up uh, to the end of August. So we'll have to find a way to get Field there. Field trip. To yes. <laughs> uh, something that will rally you up, Alex. Um, so uh, Lufthansa is introducing a new tax called a distribution cost charge. Which basically means that every time you want to book a flight from Lufthansa, any of the groups, so Swiss, uh, Austrian and others, if you book them through their website, you're fine. So the career website, but if you want to book to anyone else so through any of the GDSs, basically, that's how they call it in the industry, you'll have to pay more. That's ridiculous. Well, what do you, yeah, you, I, I don't know. I, I, there's a huge debate about that. Obviously, the Sabres and Amadeus are all up in arms saying of that's... Of course.
1: Unfair. I mean, the airlines need those distribution channels. They need them. So to punish them and effectively punish the user as well is ridiculous. Well,
0: I don't want to make the, the, the debate long. I agree with you. Uh, the claim from Lufthansa seems to me a bit bizarre. They say the costs for issuing tickets via the GDS are several times higher than other booking channels. I don't see. even with legacy software, I don't believe that for a second. Yeah, me either. Uh, Quickly, Lufthansa is looking at drones. We showed last time that, uh, two episodes ago, I think that EasyJet was doing the same thing for maintenance, but Lufthansa is looking even further. They want to actually expand drones into all their maintenance centers around the world because Lufthansa, not only uh, Lufthansa Technique, how it's called, not only cater for Lufthansa, but also for other airlines. So they want to basically find new revenue streams. So it's, we're still we're back at, uh, at Lufthansa trying out new stuff. I've heard just before the show that apparently new strikes are coming up from the pilots soon. So we show that uh, we're back from the peace after the German wing crash. Uh, we're again at the management trying to figure out how to make money and the workers trying to go on strike. So drones, I don't know if they will ever yield money with that, but that will maybe lower cost for maintenance. Uh, they've also done, a, a, since I'm for introducing the next news, they, they've done actually a small uh, um, kind of incubator accelerator in Berlin. So they want to see how uh, startups, what they could offer. Mm. But talking about that, talking about an airline we never cover, it's a Royal Jordanian, so from Jordan, has opened in its own um, also incubator accelerator with a local uh, partner called Oasis 500. And they want to basically see, what startups can do when it comes to frequent flyer programs. It's, yeah, it's a IFA. good idea. I think it's pretty cool. They will apparently even invest in some early stage startups. So I think it's a cool idea. I will have to check that out. I've been to Jordan in two, three years now. I really want to know more about this. Uh, you hate that kind of news. Uh, smart luggage. <laughs> we we <I> talked. Said- <laughs> Yeah, we 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 t- we talked about the Blue Smart which was that luggage that got funded and now you know offers like a tons of stuff. There's a new one called Far and Kickstarter. It offers you 4G and 3G Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, locking, uh a battery, uh uh also like uh, chargers and everything. I've looked at it. I don't, have you taken a look at the pictures or not?
1: Yeah, this? it looks like a, a fridge on wheels. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. It's, the metal encasing is a bit bizarre, right?
1: I just don't get the point of these. I mean, the more features they add, the more likely it's it's going to go wrong. Airlines are are going to load them because they have a lithium ion battery built into them, which they're freaking out about because they're fire risk. And we've talked about some of those yeah, stories. Yeah, KLM before. happened. Yeah, yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: KLM. It happens all the time. All the time. And I also think if you have expensive looking luggage, that's the first thing that's going to get stolen. No <laughs> one's going to steal my beat up crappy piece of luggage but they're going to look at that and go i know what that is that's one of those newfangled things that sells for you know 500 bucks
0: and i wonder how they i would will make a frankfurt security freak out as i told you last week they asked me to remove every single piece of electronic equipment including cables so basically if the luggage itself is an electric equi- electronic equipment i don't know what they will do to will they like disembowel Trying to, to to separate all the bits and parts, but I don't know. Anyway, I, I mean, good luck to them. They already have, I think, 10k of investment. The Kickstarter campaign just started. Why not? If you like these, uh, just to give them a hand. But the reason I was saying that uh, I was talking about luggage it was it was a big story that we didn't talk about. So the IATA, which is one of the bodies that regulates and recommends uh, rules for the uh, airline industry, came up. I think it was three weeks ago with a label called. ATA ca- Cabin OK, which was basically a new... Uh, it was not mandatory because it's very important. It was a new recommendation of size of carry-on luggage. Mm-hmm. And every carry-on luggage that would have this specific size, which was 55 centimeters by fif- by 35 by uh, 20, or in inches 21.5, 13.5, and 7.5 inches, that would have been the... Optimal according to them size of a carry-on, and That's they would they would have a small label, a logo on it says uh, "ATA Cabin okay. and they started like talking to uh, to airlines they said, "Okay, would you introduce it to it?" And actually, it becomes a huge uproar. Why? Because if you look at the numbers of current uh, size of carry-on, that carry-on is actually smaller. That proposed size is actually smaller than what most airlines, including low cost nowadays, are allowing inside their aircraft. Wow. So, evidently, even though it was uh, just a recommendation, most people took it as, oh, they're actually reducing size as my carry-on, this isn't acceptable. Uh, some others said, okay, this will actually give the idea of lines to say, if you if your carry-on says, okay, and if you want to bring a, bri- a bigger one, we're going to charge you for the bigger one. So basically there was huge uproar, they backtracked, although it was just a recommendation, I'll say that again, they backtracked and said, okay, you know what, we're going to go back to the drawing board and not say anything anymore about it for a little while. Uh, I, each... It shows that, you know, we're, we're very uh that that part of the boarding process is still something that creates a lot of anxiety. We don't want to get told what size we should, especially if it's a smaller one, right?
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those things that causes so much stress, both for passengers and for airlines. The airlines want to minimize it so they can get their turnarounds faster and faster and faster. And passengers don't want to pay the checked bags fee, so they try and push to limits every single time, so it.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think it was because it was done with with airlines. I, th- I honestly believe it was not made in terms of only that. It was also say, okay, there, there's clearly a problem with overhead uh, baggage. There's like it's not enough room, yeah. and they said there are some. Um, some proposals in, in Boeing have uh, introduced some of the new oversize over, overhead bins, but maybe a s- slightly smaller size of carry-on would have allowed more carry-ons to fit. I mean, it was, they're trying to, to figure it out, but obviously that didn't apply at all. No. And the worst thing is that apparently the uh, IATA was actually... This is something that made a bit of controversy. Every single uh, luggage, let's say Samsonites uh, built one tomorrow, Every single uh, luggage that gets that little tag, little label, yeah. they would get, there was a licensing fee to get it. So, uh, oh cheeky! <laughs> so the IT was getting apparently 35 cents uh, out of every luggage made. So it's actually pretty hefty when you think
1: about it. That is, yeah. That scales anyway, nicely. So
0: this debate is not o- it's not over, but they backtracked. It was never an obligation. But don't worry, guys, we're still having. We'll still have to figure out which is the right size. I mean, it's honestly a problem because only, every airline is a different size, it seems nowadays. But I don't know. Uh, anyway. We we'll uh, actually
1: have to do a segment, I think. Maybe this is even a video segment where we uh, we talk about our own personal packing preferences and our luggage preferences and stuff like that. What, what's? Do you have a brand
0: of carry-on that you usually take or not?
1: I don't have a, a brand, but I have like a very – broad arsenal oh so it depends on you me.
0: kind of travel that's what you mean or? yes
1: yeah i think i have everything i need for um, all types of travel but travel pro i think are my favorite
0: yeah me too they because do, they're very they do good work they're very sturdy and they also they're not very fancy they're not uh they, which is uh, coming to the point you were saying before they're not the kind of luggage that attracts uh, the eye but they are very sturdy and they're very uh Small things, having two handles on each side, so basically whichever way you put your carry-on in the uh, in the overhead, you can still grab it. Yeah, uh, it's 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 pretty. I mean, I like it. I mean, also I have two sides, uh because again, so, uh, long haul flights usually have slightly bigger allowance than you have on short haul So I want to have both. Though. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I yeah, know. Me too.
0: But uh, have you ever had in the? I mean, for me, it hasn't happened for a while. Anyone ask you to put your luggage into one of these? Uh, you know, at the gate they have these uh, kind of metallic, kind of I don't know. Fitting. Yeah, they're kind of caged to yeah. figure out what. No,
1: I haven't. I haven't been asked to, to have it measured in a very long time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Although I- at Barcelona when we were coming back, I they scolded me for having a um, duty free shopping bag and a backpack. Apparently, I had to put my duty free shopping in bag the backpack. In the
0: backpack, so you only have two, right?
1: No, just one. Oh, like I had a backpack and a duty free bag, and they said, "No, you need to put the du- this is an easy jet." Was well, easy?
0: Easy jet? Yeah, easy jet really allows only one because some airlines allows two. They say you can have your carry on plus a computer a item. or pure yeah. like for women maybe a, a handbag or. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, that's that's sometimes a rule you never you never sure about until you actually enter the aircraft and then tell you, mm, and, yeah, like, oh, okay. <laughs> and you like, come on. I know. Anyway, yeah, we should absolutely do that, a segment on that. And also how how you pack, how you put your stuff into luggage. Yeah. It's a it's, it's an art, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, two more things, uh yeah, if we have time. So, um you know, we talked a lot about the IFE and how, uh, you know, we we're moving to bring your own entertainment, your own device in planes. And there's this, I read that the other day, that this company in Asia that I thought about changing. So instead of having a screen in front of you, uh, on the seat in front of you or on the wall, you'd have a projector on your side that would project an image. That would allow, of course, it's lighter, but that would certainly allow to have a bigger Screen estate in front of you because, of course, you can do pretty much a lot of stuff with with it. And there's already interest. I think Hong Kong Airlines is actually interested. So, what do you think about that? I'm
1: going to say this right now. This will never, ever happen in a million years. Why? Because you have. Okay, so yeah, like you described it, you have these sort of wraparound headrest. Not going to happen in economy. Too expensive to manufacture I the agree. seat to accommodate it. And even though they say the projector itself is half the weight, which is good. I mean, that's a fuel saving cost of a of a screen. Each of those screens is a computer. So you're gonna have to put that computer somewhere to distribute the content. The content. And do and have the remote to because you can't have a touch screen, right? If you have <laughs> a projector. <laughs> so I just think it's just and it's so impractical, you know. You move your hand, you put your head to lean over, and you block someone's view. It's I it just it's not, you know. When the cabin uh, is all light during the day, uh, they're going to have to have some pretty strong bulbs, which give off a lot of heat. I think it's totally impractical.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, I just found it nice. If there's a lot of these stuff that appears online, like how you know the seats should be, and you look at it and say, Yeah, right. It'll never happen. But yeah. I mean, the, the reason I, I wanted to mention this one is that he's like, actually, there's an airline interested, which I don't know, maybe it's, they just have an interest in just going to put that in the trash bin afterwards. I don't know why. Maybe there's a story behind it that we don't know who's the founder, what are the links with the airline or something. Yeah. Uh, Monarch. Have you ever flown Monarch, Alex? I actually haven't, no. Me neither. So for those who don't know, it's a, kind of qualify that it's a low cost airline in the UK. It was a charter airline. I don't know who... I don't know if it's a low-cost or a charter, because since I never flew with them, I'm not actually sure. I think it's a low-cost airline, similar to EasyJet. So they have this kind of – you can see them in a lot of holiday destinations in Europe. If you ever go to Europe, guys, they have uh, – the branding is a mauve, I would say, color. Um, and, you know, usually these low-cost airlines are not very well known for their a good passenger experience. Usually, no. it's okay. So I've never flown this. So I cannot judge on their seats and et cetera, et cetera. But I was reading that that they will release an Apple Watch app. Why not? Everybody does it these days, including EasyJet and others. <laughs> but the cool thing, the cool feature on that one is that not only you'll have the usual stuff, you know, like you know, when is my flight departing, et cetera, et cetera. But you'll be able to interact directly with the IFE. You'll have basically it will become some Which kind of is remote really control. really cool. Yes, it is, right? For Monarch. Really cool. I would have I would have expected Everest to show to come up with something like that, but not Monarch. It's it's very cool that they've been able to do that. They say that users will be able to order food and drinks, reorder with one touch, browse and order duty free, check the flight process, I mean there's stuff like that. But I mean and they they will also be able to kind of control the content, so the what you're watching currently. So wow. I mean I don't know. Good for them. Yeah, it's it's a pretty cool piece of – I still don't have an Apple Watch. I'm still not buying one, but uh, it looks like a pretty nice piece of innovation there. Yeah, well,
1: Yeah, this is a very good idea. It would be interesting to try it, see if it actually works. By
0: the way, for those living in the UK, uh, Apple Pay is finally coming. Yay. So we'll be able to pay directly with our Apple Watch. We don't have one, but with our um, iPhone iPhones. Six, no? And it will be interesting to see which airline in in Europe will be the first one to accept it. No. Yeah, absolutely. Two small things of uh, videos. Uh, first, uh, Qantas, uh, they've done this uh, video. Of, uh, it's a promo video, obviously, but they've done uh, filming it in 360. So it's a camera you, you put and you have 360. And if you have a modern browser, YouTube actually shows you the entire 360. So no, you don't have to buy 25 screens around your head. You can just move your <laughs> cursor and move. And there's a landing on an island in Australia called Hamilton Island and it's really 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 cool to watch the landing you can watch it like 10 times because of course you can choose your angle every time differently you can watch the pilot you can watch the actually landing strip etc cetera, etc cetera. it's pretty well it's
1: very very well done and I had no idea that YouTube had the capability of doing this
0: I no, I'm not sure it works in Safari you only ha- you have to use Chrome for sure yeah. Firefox I think it works as well uh, but I'm, I'm not sure Safari so yet. Uh, but anyway, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty well done. There was a few months ago, Robert Scobold had filmed Loïc uh in his own plane with a similar camera and having 360 uh, experience. If I can find the video online, I'll put it as a show note link as well. You can watch Loïc we we both know and uh Robert in the f- in the flight deck basically flying the plane is <laughs> pretty cool.
1: It's very cool.
0: And last but not least another video which is uh Pegasus which is um because I think it's the second biggest um airline in Turkey. Turkey yeah they've released a new uh safety video so we talked about uh of course, you guys at Virgin woods' have done like, amazing safety videos. You've been in New Zealand, done some crazy ones. But this one is actually really, really cool because they've, yeah. they've used uh, basically comic uh, superheroes to tell you the story. So you find Iron Man, you find all these Marvel comic superheroes in there. And, uh, and they play around their superpowers, of course, with the usual stuff happens in planes. And the one I really love is, because I'll put the video, is when... Uh, Uh, the the flight attendant asks for people to uh, quit their electronics, you can see Iron Man basically powering down his suit. Yeah. That's obviously pretty cool. It's clever.
1: It's very clever.
0: It's very clever. Uh, I think I ran out of news. uh, So we'll go to uh, the airport of the week. There's not a lot to say about the airport of the week. So don't misunderstand me. Athens airport is a very nice airport. It's a very... uh, when I say there's not a lot to say, is that it's efficient. I, I keep using that term for every single airport. But so the story is before 2001, there was another airport, for those who haven't flown in Greece forever, there was another airport called Elinikon, which was near the sea. And basically, you were flying, it's a bit like City uh, London nowadays, you were flying over the city and landing there. And it was a disaster.
1: And oh, absolutely, dis-
0: CNN. The day that airport shut down, CNN wrote about how they won't miss the abandoned dogs and the (laughs) armored vehicles in front of the entrance. And that was true, honestly. It was a disaster. So, they moved. So, basically, they they, uh, did a private-public partnership. So, basically, the airport was made by the Germans. Well, nowadays, obviously, everybody... Uh, puts the Germans against the Greeks, it's not actually the case, Uh, so the Germans build the airport, and clearly it is, it has this kind of feeling of a very German airport, means it's a cube, but a very efficient cube, so it's not up to Munich standards, it doesn't have to be, because it's not as much of a layover airport, though there's a lot of connections to the islands, obviously, Uh, It has suffered in terms of passengers, it went, uh, now it's I think at 15 million. It was on track to beat that actually this year, but uh, of course with the current crisis, it might not. Again, very easy airport to get to, uh, you get from the city, it's about 40 minutes, because of course it's not a city airport, it's an airport that is outside the city, Uh, 40 minutes, roughly the same time with the train, though then you're not dependent on traffic. Uh, So, I mean, very good airport in terms of what you can do in the airport. There's not uh, shopping, obviously. It's one of those airport, Alex, when you know there's a security is very close to the gate. So you have a lot of freedom before to actually do a lot of shopping. There's not a one a single point of entry for security. And then you get to the shopping area. You have a lot of shopping area that is open to, uh, uh, to to everyone. And then you have basically two terminals. One if you are in Schengen, one if you're not, to make it simple. I'm
1: always surprised. I wonder if there's any any... Data or studies done on the most efficient point in a flow of an airport to put security because at Changi, I think because of all the transit, security is done at a gate at the gate, and
0: right. there's a few
1: other airports I've been to. Recently, uh,
0: Amsterdam, Amsterdam is done at the gate. Amsterdam, every every yeah. single every single gate has its own security, which sometimes you know. I like I agree with you. I don't know if there's one better or the other. If you're on a layover, you already passed security on your first airport. It's honestly a pain to have to go through security again. You're like, guys, I haven't suddenly bought something that is illegal in during my flight, right? Yeah. So you don't want it. But I, I understand that some big airports might need it in terms of design. I I again Athens in that case is not a very big layover airport. I mean, it is. I mean you, you can transfer there's a lot of transfers to islands but yeah i
1: was gonna say within greece is is there a lot so of, they don't maybe
0: they don't. i've never been there <laughs> maybe it's just maybe it's a case of you know balancing the okay what's the who do we want to cater for first and foremost to the layover passengers to the passengers who are just entering exiting it's honestly, it's efficient. This is one of the airports I never had to worry about being late or delayed or having a lot of people at security because that's one one thing is that when you have the security close, it's not at every gate, but it's close to, let's say, the security point usually caters for five to six gates. It usually means that you don't have to be too early because there won't never be like these huge, massive queues like in some airports where, like, you know, the half of you know, like all the flights are catered for uh, through the same point of entry. So at least there's that. It's, it seems for me, it's never an airport I was anxious at. I just had, you know, you go there and you know that you would clear security pretty pretty fast. In any case, so it's uh, there's lots of shopping. There's a museum, but honestly, guys, so when you know in Greece, whenever you do um, you know, do a new build, a new construction, wherever you dig, you'll find. Some site and some, you know, <laughs> ancient stuff. So basically, what they did is that they all everything they found during the construction, they put it in a museum in in within the airport. It's not that fascinating. If you like a museum, go to the one on the Acropolis. But if you only have a very short layover, why not? Though again, it's not that fantastic. Uh, is it a good airport for layovers? Yes, it's a twenty four seven airport. You can. It's not really like there's a hotel um, next uh, opposite the airport. But it's, you can, yeah, go ahead, Alex. How can, close is it to the city? 40, look, I've I've done it in 25 minutes by cab. <laughs> and I've done it in 45. Uh, it depends on where you want to go. Uh, the train is not dependent. So there's a like a tube, like a metro. Uh, it's not depending on traffic. You have to make one stop over there, one s- switch of train. It's pretty, it's pretty okay, honestly. I always take a cab, but I also have a friend who's a cabbie, so I always act. You know, I call him and just say, "Can you drive me?" And he drives me. So maybe I'm not the best person to ask, but I've heard people taking the metro. It's actually the the tr- Athens um, metro system is spotless. It's very clean. People have always kind of, I know, surprised people because maybe they they have this bad image of Greece, but it's actually extremely clean, extremely well kept. So you don't, know, and it's it works really well. So I uh, I encourage you to take it because it's not expensive and it it, it puts you almost everywhere in, in the city. So. Uh, but cabs are also like there's a flat fee i think from uh, oh from
1: there oh that's a good that's great i love it when
0: cities so, do so that you know. and there's nothing else around the airport it means yeah you don't have like a short ride the only thing is if you want to go to the island sometimes there's a port called rafina which is very close which is instead of taking a plane you want to take a ferry some of the islands are catered through there so usually and then you don't have traffic because rafina is this very small port so no, it's a nice uh airport there's a you can a bit hard to make plane spotting for those plane spotters of you, uh, sadly. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, there's not really like a place. There are, I've heard, I've never been able to find one, but it's not. Though it's a very open-ended airport, it's really built in the middle of nowhere. So, there,
1: Speaking of the plane spotting, there are actually some great resources online for that, which we should explore maybe in the next oh, episode. Yeah, we pleasure. Yeah. Um, guys and gals that spend a lot of time kind of telling you the best places to go at airports. Um it's yeah, it's it's a lot of resource there.
0: Yeah, and so yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Like as you can see, nothing extraordinary about that airport, but nothing bad either. It's uh it's a very no honestly, it's an airport that again, it's Germanic, and I'm not saying that in a bad way, trust me guys. It's just extremely efficient, works. It's very the purpose and the design is very clear. I never got lost. It looks beautiful. Never. I'm looking and at pictures of it yeah. right now. And it's also very, it's been very well-kept, it's very. It's clean, it's, uh, it's a very, very efficient airport. I mean, it doesn't need to be Munich because it doesn't cater for that number of passengers. It has, it doesn't need to be expanded yet, it will be maybe one day, but it's just honestly, you know, we always say that airports is are a bit of the image of the country because it's the first, first thing you see in a country. When yep. you see that airport, it's a pretty good sign for Greece, whatever the, pro- the issues and the problems they have right now. Good. Last but not least, a little tip. So if you are on a layover, because sometimes you can be on a layover for a few hours there, you have so meaning com- uh, coming back to your question, Alex, you have time to go back, to go to the city and back. Uh, you can go uh, Acropolis, of course. The museum is nice. If you have kids, and I know you, Alex, do, uh, go to the zoo. I know it's ah. not something that a lot of people know about, but if the zoo, they have amazing, an amazing, really collection. I don't like the term collection when we talk about animals, but of birds. Go into cages and you have all these birds. It's really, kids love it. And again, it's, you know, 30 minutes you're there, 30 minutes you're back. So if you have like four hours, it's actually worth it with kids maybe to do it. Wow. That's oh. a good tip. That's yep. a great tip. And on that, I think uh, I've covered it all, right? You should, I'll, bring, oh, I, I'll. I kind of want to go to Athens now. I'll bring you there. I'll bring you yeah, there. Yeah, let's like, do it. We'll, we'll do that. Definitely. No matter no matter the current issues. Yeah. No, for those people who are kind of wondering if you're traveling in the next coming weeks, it's true. Bring your own cash. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, a euro works, but bring your own cash are like uh, cash traps in the ATMs. But I hope and I also trust that it won't last for long. Please come to Greece, guys. It's worth it. Definitely. And on that, Alex, I'll see you next, not next week, in two weeks, actually.
1: In two weeks. (laughs) Safe travels, everybody.
0: Bye. Safe travels. Bye. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.